0: You know, when I look in the Bible and read Scripture, and I see how holy, how righteous God is. I also look in the Bible and see how sinful and unholy man is. How can it be that he can love me? I don't understand it, but I'm so glad for it. (laughs) In fact, he demonstrated that love toward me and toward all of us, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. Turn your Bibles again to Mark chapter 9, please. Mark chapter 9. We'll continue our studies on the truth. We saw in the Bible the truth about sin, the truth about salvation, the truth about heaven, and last week we began our study on the truth about hell, what the Bible teaches about hell. We're going to continue that study here this morning. In your bulletin you'll find an insert of notes. hope you take that out and fill out those blank spaces from the screens on the wall. Back in 1970, there's a well-known show, TV show host by the name of Phil Donahue. Phil Donahue had his own show. He had different guests on each week and interview them. One week, he had a man by the name of Reverend Bob Harrington, who was the chaplain on Bourbon Street, a preacher. And Mr. Phil Donahue was very well-known, being very critical towards religion, especially Christianity, and attack upon the Bible. And had this man on his show, and he asked him, he said, Mr. Harrington, I understand, you preach the Bible, you preach about heaven, preach about hell, is that true? He said, yes, I do. I want you to know, Mr. Harrington, I do not believe the Bible. Mr. Harrington says that doesn't change the truth about it. He said, I want you to know, I don't believe in heaven. He said, that doesn't make it go away. He said, I want you to know, I do not believe in hell. I love his answer. He said, not believing in hell does not change the temperature one degree. How true that is. There's so many people today that do not believe in hell. In fact, 40% of those who profess Christ do not believe in a biblical hell. How about you? Do you believe in hell? Let me ask you, do you believe the Bible? I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I even believe the cover when it says Holy Bible. Every word of it is God's word. And God has much description in the Bible about this place called hell. So let's begin, number one, talk about the description of hell. How does the Bible, how does God describe this place called hell? First of all, letter A is described as a fire that never shall be quenched. That hell is a fire that never shall be quenched. Look, he would, please, again in Mark chapter 9. Look in verse 43, please. Mark 9, 43. He said, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell into a fire that never shall be quenched. He said, verse 43, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Verse 45, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. If I, I offend thee, pluck it out. What does he mean by that? What he means is anything in your life that's keeping you from trusting Christ, get rid of it. Anything in your life that's keeping you coming to know Christ as your Savior, get rid of it. In fact, another principle here is that it's better to go through life on earth handicapped or disabled or disformed without a hand, without an eye, without a foot than dying and going to hell with all your physical faculties. Hell is an awful literal place, and the Bible talks about it. In fact, the word hell here, first of all, it's mentioned five times, is called a fire that never shall be quenched. The word "quench" means extinguished, or that basically is perpetual. The word hell, the Greek word Gehenna, is transliterated from two Hebrew words meaning Valley of Hinnom. Valley of Hinnom was a real place in Bible times A place south of Jerusalem where in the Old Testament children were once sacrificed to the false god of Molech. Later during the reforms of King Josiah, the site became Jerusalem's refuge dump where fires burned continually to consume regular deposits of worm-infested garbage. Jesus used this place as imagery of fire and worms to vividly portray this awful place called hell and warn people about it. In fact, he mentioned three times there, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. What does that mean? Well, the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. The word worm refers to internal torment. The fire refers to external torment. When a person goes to hell, he's tormented both inwardly and outwardly. Both vividly portray, portray, excuse me, Unending conscious punishment that awaits those who refuse God's salvation. Letter B. The second description of hell is a furnace of fire. The Bible refers to hell as a furnace of fire. Turn with me, you please, to Matthew. Some of the verses we'll turn to at the beginning, the rest of them we'll look at on the screen. But Matthew chapter 13, please. Matthew 13. Page 1363, right before Mark, you've got Matthew. Here again, we have another description of hell given to us by the Lord Jesus. Matthew 13. Look with me in verse 47, please. Matthew 13, verse 47. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a, uh, like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast the bad away. Verse 49. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth, sever the wicked, that means the unsaved, from among the just, they saved. Verse 50. And shall cast them, the wicked, into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing, gnashing of teeth. So basically, it talks about hell as a furnace of fire, a place where there'll be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Talking about how people are crying out because of the pain, the torment. And not only that, their teeth grit together because they can't stand it anymore. Yet that's what hell is like a furnace of fire. Let her see. The third description given to us about this place called hell. It's called everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. Everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. Look over in Matthew chapter 25, please. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 31. But I want you to see, have you turned to me in the Bible? I want you to see this is not something that your pastor's making up and not something he's trying to deceive you about, but you can see clearly what the Bible says about a place called hell. It says the Bible's God's word is basically what God says about hell. And he warns us of this awful place. In Matthew 25, look with me in verse 31. Here are what is called the judgment of nations. Matthew 25, 31. It says, verse 31, and it said, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, talking about his millennial kingdom. And before him shall he gather all nations, and he shall get, uh, separate the one from another, as a shepherd divides sheep, talking about the believers, from the goats, the unbelievers. Verse 33 and he shall set the sheep on the right-hand side but the goats on the left side. Verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, talk about the sheep, the believers, come ye blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Look in verse 41, please. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, talking about the goats, the unbelievers, depart from me ye cursed, Into what? Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Look down to verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Notice here it talks about hell as an everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. Remember that word everlasting? We'll come back to that in a few moments. Next, the fourth description of hell It's called everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. It's called a fire that never shall be quenched, a furnace of fire, everlasting fire, everlasting destruction. Turn with me now to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, page 1666. Here's the writings of the Apostle Paul. And he mentions this place called hell. Hell. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, please. If you're not familiar with the Bible, 2 Thessalonians is right after 1 Thessalonians, if that's helpful. (laughs) 2 Thessalonians, all the books that begin with T in the New Testament are together. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, it'd be all together, so you found one, you know you're close. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, look in verse 7, please, verse 7. The Apostle Paul, on in the inspiration of the Spirit of God, said this, And to you, who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with the mighty angels, verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus. By the way, how do you obey the gospel? What, what is the directive of the gospel? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So how do you obey it? You believe it. These <laughs> talking about those who have not believed in Christ, refused to trust Christ as Savior. In verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So again, another term, description of this awful place called hell, called everlasting destruction. Next, letter E. It's referred to as an eternal fire. Eternal fire. Same word as everlasting. The King James translator sometimes took the word translate everlasting. Sometimes it's called eternal. They're both the same word in the Bible, something that lasts forever. It said in Jude 1 7, you can see it on the screen. Jude said this, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. Giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of what? Eternal fire. And lastly, letter F, the last description we'll look at, is called a lake of fire and brimstone. Hell, Gehenna, is called a lake of fire and brimstone. Revelation twenty one in verse 8, please. It says here, John, the Apostle John said, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part where? In a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There are two deaths, unbeliever experience, The first one is a physical death. The second one is a second death. Death in the Bible does not mean annihilation or ceasing to exist. Death means separation. When you die physically, your soul and spirit separates from your body. If you die spiritually, at that moment, that second death is when that soul and spirit separates from your body, is then cast into the lake of fire. These are awful descriptions, yet they're very clear in the Bible. Number two. Now let's look at the creation of hell. Why would God create such a place? Let me tell you, first of all, hell is not some concoction of man. Not something man decided to think about. and Let's come up with a terrible place people go to that are wicked. The Bible says God created hell. He created hell. And we see why in Matthew 25, God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. We read this already. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Notice here, prepared for the devil's angels. God did not create hell for man. He created for the devil's angels. The devil and angels have no choice. They will go there one day. But man has a choice. He did not create it for you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. See, Pastor, I don't want to spend eternity with God. You have one other option, hell. Heaven or hell, two options. I don't know about you. When I understand the description of hell, I want heaven. And that's very clear for uh, what the Bible teaches. So God did not create it yet. He did create hell. He created it for the devil and his angels. But he doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven to what his son did for you. But the good news is, God prepared his kingdom for believers. God prepared his kingdom for believers. We saw that also in Matthew 25. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand about the believers, the sheep, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, God prepared hell for the devil's angels. He prepared he- the kingdom for those who know Christ as Savior. And letter C, which many of you are familiar with, but I like the most, God is preparing, present tense, is preparing heaven for those who are saved. He prepared his kingdom, yet future, for those, for believers. He is presently preparing heaven for those who are saved. John 14, too many of you know the verse Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. He said, before he left the earth, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. What's that place like? Two things. I preached on it two weeks ago. But also, you can go to Revelation 21, not now. It describes this place God's prepared for those who trust him as Savior. I encourage you to get a chance to read over that beautiful place prepared just for you. So he prepared hell for devils' angels. He prepared his kingdom and heaven for men who trust him as savior. Those who reject him, the only option of that is hell. So number one, we saw the description. We saw the creation. Number three, now the duration of hell. How long does hell last? That's where so many di- di- differ. So many churches, so many religions teach something different. Some say hell is temporary. say when a person goes to hell, he is annihilated. He seeks to exist. He's burned up. He's gone. What does the Bible say? What does scripture teach? I'm glad you asked. First of all, the Bible says hell is forever. Hell is forever. Number one, there's no sensation of suffering in hell. There is no sensation of suffering. When a person goes to hell, he never forever ceases from suffering. In Revelation 14, 11, It says this, it's on the screen. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. There is no rest, there is no relief from suffering in hell. It is forever. Many years ago, I saw a movie about Jesus Christ. It was called The Greatest Story Ever Told. Have you ever seen it before? The Greatest Story, of a great movie. The movie was four and a half hours long. Yeah. I remember going there, and right in the middle, they had an intermission. Allowed you to take, take a break or whatever you need to do, then you come back. That word rest means intermission. There is no intermission in hell, there, there's no rest. So when a person goes to hell, there is no ceasing from suffering. It's an awful, terrible place, the last forever, where people go there and suffer forever and ever and ever and ever, forever they suffer. There also, there's no sensation of existence. There's no sensation of existence. The Job Witnesses teach if you're not good enough to enter the kingdom, then you will go to hell where you're annihilated. you you cease to exist? So when a person goes to hell, is he annihilated? Does he ever cease to exist? I'm glad you asked. Go with me now to Revelation, please. Revelation. The last book of your Bible. In chapter 19, please. Revelation 19. Here is a very clear teaching of the Bible that hell is forever. It never ceases. To exist in existence. Revelation chapter 19, please. Revelation 19. Let me hit the context. Revelation 19 and 20 and 21 are in chronological order. And we have Revelation 19 and beginning in verse 11, we have what is called the... Uh, the uh, get it out here. The war, The great war in the future. Armageddon, thank you, my mind went blank. The battle of Armageddon, you read about it there. And the conclusion of the battle of Armageddon, in fact it tells us verse 19, look what it says there. It said, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him. Talking about Jesus, that sat on the horse and against his army. So at this battle, all the armies of the world were gathered together, Christ returns from heaven, and there will be a great war of the battle of Armageddon. The first thing that happened at this battle, verse twenty, and the beast and the f- was taken, and with him the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped the image, and it says these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So first thing they do. There's an unho- unholy Trinity. We, that, we, in the Bible, we have a holy Trinity: God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's an unholy Trinity manifested in the tribulation. There's the Antichrist, there's the prophet, and the beast. And two of them will be taken and thrown into the uh, lake of fire. Now, look in chapter twenty, verse one. Right after this, he said, verse twenty, chapter twenty, verse one. John said, I saw an angel come down from heaven with having a key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, Satan and bound him for what? A thousand years and cast him in the bottomless pit. Look over here please. The battle of Armageddon the first thing he'll do, the armies of the world will gather together against Christ. He will take the beast and the false prophet he will cast them alive into the lake of fire. And then he'll destroy all the armies of the world. And then he'll take Satan and take him and cast him into a bottomless pit. He'll be there for 1,000 years. Now, look with me, please, in chapter 20, verse 10. Back up in verse 7, chapter 20, verse 7. He says, when the 1,000 years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Going down to verse 10. And the devil that deceived them were cast in the lake of fire. That it was prepared for him in brimstone. And notice what it says here. Where the beast and the false prophet, what? Are. Present tense. It didn't say where they were, where they are. A thousand years prior to this, he cast them into the lake of fire. And a thousand years later, guess what? They're still there. They were not burned up. They were not annihilated. They didn't cease to exist. They're still there. And notice there, Satan would be cast there. Well, he'd be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. So basically, it's saying hell is forever. But also, the word eternal describing hell clearly defines hell's duration. Remember when we saw the description of Hell. Over and over again, he talks about eternal fire, eternal judgment, eternal, uh, talking about everlasting judgment. But notice this word clearly describes the duration of hell, but I want you to notice carefully. If you hear here today and you say, Pastor, I understand what the Bible says, but I don't believe it. I cannot believe that a place like that will last forever. The people go there and suffer forever and ever and ever. I don't believe that. Now, if you take that position, you have a problem. Because the same word that describes the duration of heaven describes the duration of the existence of God. So if hell's not forever, then God's not forever. He says, show me that, Pastor. I'm glad you asked. Look with me, away, please. It says on the screen there, the description of the existence of God. Revelation, sorry, Romans 16, 26. It said, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of what kind of God? Everlasting God. Then he says in Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot? So basically, the same word that describes the duration of hell is the same word the Bible uses to describe the duration the existence of God. So if hell is not forever, God is not eternal. He's not forever. But don't stop there. The same word also used to express the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, talking about the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you for how long? Forever. That's the reason Hebrews said when he, Christ saves us, the Holy Spirit dwells. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I find great comfort in that. But listen, he said, Pastor, I don't believe hell forever. Then you've just attacked the existence of God and also attacked the existence of the Holy Spirit in your life forever. That if hell is temporary, then God's temporary, and so is the existence of the Holy Spirit in your life temporary. But lastly, the same word to describe hell Describes God, describes the presence of the Holy Spirit, but also describes the duration of our salvation. The duration of our salvation. How many of you know Romans six twenty three? The wages of sin is death, but what? The gift of God is what? Temporary life. Oh, I misread that. Momentary life. No, does it say? Eternal life. Now listen, please. If you see the problem that false teaching and false belief creates. Those who just cannot receive or accept the biblical teaching on hell and say, I cannot believe this forever, then you've just attacked the God of the Bible, the Holy Spirit that indwells you, and you've just taken away the salvation God's provided for you from being eternal to being temporary. Because that's the, the word he used to describe all four. We've looked at the description hell, the creation of hell, the duration of hell, and number four, the reason for hell. The reason for hell. First of all, hell is a manifestation of divine justice. Hell is a manifestation of divine justice. First of all, hell is not inconsistent with God's justice. Someone says, how can God be just? and send somebody to a place called hell for all eternity. How can a just God do that? Listen to me, please. It's not the punishment of sin, but the not punishing sin that calls God's justice into question. Let me say that again. It's not the punishment of sin, but the not punishing sin that calls God's justice into question. Have you ever seen a court of law? There's a man before the court, before the judge everybody knows he is guilty of breaking the law. Yet the judge says you can go free. What do we say? Where's justice? Where's justice? And so we think about that. Take that same idea when you see a person who's guilty of breaking the laws and commandments of God and stands before only God and God says okay, you can go free. He says, where's justice? Justice and manifestation uh, hell is a manifestation of God's justice. But listen to me, please. Hell satisfies the demands of God's justice. Hell satisfies the demands of God's justice. Somebody said, well, Pastor, uh, how could a God of love send anybody to a place called hell? How could he do that? Listen to me, please. What they do, they take the justice of God and throw it out. God will not sacrifice his justice on the altar of love. God is love, we'll talk about it in a moment, but also he's just. And both must be fulfilled and satisfied. How's that done? Next, hell magnifies God's attributes. Real quickly, we'll go through these. Hell magnifies God's attributes. First of all, number one, God is holy. God is holy. An attribute of God, God is holy. In his holiness, he requires perfection. He requires that you have to be as righteous as holy as he is to enter his presence. Heaven's a perfect place and you must be perfect to enter there. God is holy. Number two, God is just. In his justice, he demands punishment for those who fall short of his holiness. Again, God is just. His justice demands punishment for those who fall short of his holiness. Number three, God is merciful. God is merciful. His mercy Plates for life. Look where we please. Don't miss us now. Number one, the God of the Bible is holy. He's absolute righteous. The Bible said, "In God, God is light. In Him is no darkness at all." He's absolute perfect, and He requires you to be the same in His presence. I don't know about you, that eliminates me. And so He demands perfection in His presence. Next, God is just. In His justice, He requires. Or demands punishment for those who fall short of his holiness. Those who sin to not fall short of the glory of God. He demands punishment. But my friend, God is merciful. His mercy pleads for life. His justice demands death. His mercy pleads for life. What's the solution? Number four, God is love. God is love. In his love, he provided a substitute. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Think about that now. His holiness requires of me to be holy in his presence. His justice demands of me punishment if I fall short of that. However, his mercy pleads for life. In his mercy, he said, David, I'll provide a substitute. I'll provide somebody to pay the debt for you. And he sent his son, Jesus. Lastly, we saw the description, the creation, the duration, and the reason for hell. Lastly, the preaching of hell. The preaching of hell. The preaching of hell is three things, and we'll close with this. First of all, it is a strong motivation for people to come to Christ. It's a strong motivation for people to to Christ. As an eight-year-old boy, I heard about hell, and it scared me bad. I don't want to go there. And so the preacher told me about Jesus. I said, that's what I want. And I trusted Christ. So the hell, the fact that it was real and scared me, motivated me to come to Christ. How many of you trusted Christ because you're fear of hell? Would you raise your hand, please? So many of you here. And if it doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. But basically, people, it's a motivation for people to come to Christ. Let it B. It's a motivation for people to persuade men to be saved. It's a motivation for people, for the believer... To persuade others to be saved, 2 Corinthians chapter five verse eleven, Paul said, "Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men." And lastly, the preaching of hell is a strong motivation for us to give to missions. I know that First Baptist Church believes in hell. You know why? Because last March, this church committed 212 thousand dollars to missions because you want people to learn about a place called hell and learn about a person called Jesus Christ and you committed that the Bible says the word of reconciliation has been committed to us to either give it out through our personally or give it out through missionaries. It's a strong motivation to give to missions. Close your Bibles please look up here. So we looked at the description the creation the duration, the reason, and the preaching of hell. When I, as a 23-year-old man, I worked at the telephone company in Tampa, Florida. I was a cable spicer. I worked with another man. His name was Jack. Jack made it very known he was an atheist. He made it very clear to me that he did not believe in God, the Bible, heaven, or hell, and yet we were good friends. We hit it off well, far as being friends but he made it clear i didn't believe what i believed and i shared with him many times the best i could the love of christ shared with him this wonderful place called heaven and the awful place called hell and i did many times he said he said david that's enough i don't want to hear it anymore you've told me over again i don't hear it anymore and i said jack i'll honor your request but let's say let's say this jack let's suppose jack you're right there is no God. There is no heaven. There's no hell. And when you die, you cease to exist. If that's true, then you've lost nothing. And what I believe, I've lost nothing. All cease to exist. But I said, Jack, if the Bible's true, and hell is real and heaven's real, when you die, you've lost everything. Yet the Bible says heaven's a gift. And you avoid hell by trusting Christ. Didn't that make sense to do that, Jack? He said, "I'll think about it." And so maybe here today, you don't believe in heaven or hell, and you don't believe you believe when people die they're like an animal they cease to exist. And if that's true, then nobody here has lost anything. Even though I believe the Bible, I've lost nothing because I'll cease to exist too. But if heaven's real, and by the way, it is real, there's a God of heaven. He created heaven. He created hell but I want you to spend eternity with him. But the decision is yours. You can decide to trust Christ and go to heaven. You can decide to reject Christ, and the option is hell. The choice is yours. To me, my friend, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> no-brainer. doesn't take any brains. realize the best thing to do is to trust Christ. So if you trust the Christ, let's leave here with a spring in our step rejoicing. I'm not going to hell. Jesus told his disciples, who came back and says, wonderful thing, the demons are uh, influenced by me. I can have word and cast out demons. And Christ said, rejoice not the demons are under your control, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So, Christian, there's so many things you can do for Christ and live for him and on him. Wonderful. But your greatest rejoicing is the fact that when you die, you're going to heaven. Do you rejoice over that? If you're not going to heaven, you can. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I've the last two weeks I've talked about this place, the Bible talks about hell. And if you believe the Bible, you have to believe it's true. You have to believe what the scripture says, what Jesus said about it, what the apostles said about it. It is true. He said, Pastor, I don't believe it. It doesn't change the temperature one degree. It is still there. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to spend eternity with him to enjoy his presence, experience his love and compassion for you. And so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty of sin for you. We're all sinners. As sinners, we all deserve the punishment of God. But God provided a substitute to pay the punishment for us. That substitute was Jesus Christ. He sent his son to come to this earth to die on the cross to pay for your sin both past, present, and future. All your sin was paid for. And if you would believe, receive him as your savior, he'll give you eternal life as a gift. He'll do it right now. So why not get that settled? Why not leave here knowing that you have eternal life, knowing that you will not go to hell, but knowing for certain you'll go to heaven by simply trusting Jesus Christ as your savior? Pastor, I want to do that. How do I do that? Tell God that. Talk to God in your own thoughts. Maybe say something like this. Say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe your son, Jesus, as my substitute, was punished in my place. I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. He died in my place. He paid for my sin. I believe he was buried and I believe he rose again. And God, realizing I can do nothing to save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting to forgive me and to give me eternal life. I'm trusting Christ, my Savior, here today. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My friend, did you do that today? Did you trust Christ If you did according to the Bible, according to the God that cannot lie, heaven's your home. You have eternal life. But I'd like to know if anyone did that today. I want to pray for those who made that decision. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you if you did that today for the first time, if you just indicate to me by the raise of hand. Let me explain to you, raise your hand doesn't save you. I want to pray for you. My prayer for you doesn't save you. I just want to rejoice with you. I really get excited when someone else understands the truth of the gospel and trusts Christ. So if you did that today for the first time, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we'll simply indicate that by simply raising your hand real high and put it back down. You want know it all? Pastor is my hand, I trust in Christ. Please pray for me. You at know it all this morning? You want know it all? As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Christian, hope you leave here with two things. First of all, rejoicing that you're not going to go to hell. But also, may God burden our hearts to tell our loved ones about this awful place. Make it a strong motivation to persuade others to come to men. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. God is maybe laying someone on your heart right now to talk to about this awful place. Their decision to trust Christ is theirs. But it's our responsibility to tell them to warn them. Warn them to hell and tell them about the wonderful Savior that came to save them from that place. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It allows us to have rejoicing in the midst of the teaching of this awful place called hell. The fact that we're not going to go there because of what he did for us. But, Father, at the same time, may we rejoice. At the same time, may we be burdened to reach the loss for the gospel of Christ. Our loved ones, they're not saved. Lord, help us to be burdened and help us to be bold in sharing the gospel of the good news of Christ with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.